One of the largest pieces of domestic legislation in recent memory, the Recovery Act was designed to jumpstart economic activity and prevent another Great Depression. And that's exactly what it has been doing. They never realize it's a little corporation. We could unify, relieve the frustration. Instead, they want to ride upon them, bread about no tears, no tears. Hello, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Kana Jaffe Walt. And that was White House Budget Director Peter Orzag, you heard at the top of the show. He was talking last week about the stimulus plan, and that was before he was getting ready to say goodbye. Orzag reportedly plans to step down. He's been on the job a year and a half, and now he is saying goodbye. Today on the show, we have an economic mystery explained. That mystery has to do with tomatoes. How to get homegrown taste in a store-bought tomato? (laughs) No, not that mystery. If only we could solve that mystery today. No, we're going to get to uh, a different tomato mystery in a minute. But first, as always... Jacob Goldstein, our blogger with the Planet Money Indicator. Today's Planet Money Indicator is 2.2%. Sales of existing homes fell 2.2% in May compared with April. Existing homes, that is, of course, opposed to homes that don't exist, which would really be a bubble. Right. <laughs> Huge sales in non-existent homes. <laughs> right. No, so existing homes mean homes that do exist as opposed to brand new homes. So homes that have already been built as opposed to homes that are being built right now. Right. So we're going to get sales figures for brand new homes later this week. But but the main thing today is this 2.2% decline really is a pretty big deal. Uh, economists were actually guessing that sales of existing homes were going to go up in May, uh, largely because the government has basically been paying people to buy homes through that home buyer tax credit program. You say pay, I say bribe. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean, the interesting thing to me is that programs like this, where you pay someone or bribe them to buy something, can steal sales from the future. That's one thing we worry about. We talked about with the Cash for Clunkers program that some people who are already going to buy a car anyway just hurried up and bought one before the program expired. And in this case, that's really a, a big concern right now. The way this home buyer tax credit program worked, you had to sign a deal before April 30th, and then the deal has to close by June 30th. So there's this idea that people who, who would have bought a house this summer, you know, in July or in August, they hurried up and bought one, uh, signed the deal by April 30th. So that means you were sort of pulling buyers from the summer into the spring. So that's a real worry for home sales this summer. So what that says to me, Jacob, it's time to buy in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, you, I mean, you always make that point, Alex, and I think it's a good one, that just because home prices are falling, that's, that's not necessarily bad, right? If you've been saving up money and you want to buy a house, falling home prices are actually a good thing. Let them fall. That's Unless right. Unless you own a house, and then it's a bad thing. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jacob. Well, thanks, guys. Okay. Hannah? Yes. Are you ready for the mystery? I am. I'm ready. All right. So, okay. So I stumbled upon this mystery when I was in Jamaica recently. You just did a story on This American Life about Jamaica. It actually compared Barbados and Jamaica and how Barbados has become so much richer than Jamaica, even though 50 years ago they were pretty much in the same place. It's an excellent story that I have not yet heard. <laughs> you haven't heard it yet? <laughs> no, but How I'm... are you telling the people it's excellent? You don't even know. <laughs> I know. You tell me what it's about. I, I get the point. And I know it was excellent because it was done by Alex Bloomberg. You should listen to the show, as should I. You can find it on thislife.org. And Alex, you've been, you have so many stories from that trip, we couldn't get them all into one show. And so we've been telling some of them on the podcast. Right. And so this, this story about the tomato mystery is one of the things that I came back, and I was talking about it a lot. And the tomato mystery, let me just set the scene. 
So I was talking to this guy, Joe Madelon, and he's a businessman in Jamaica. He advises the government from time to time. And we were talking and you know what? Hey, Caitlin, um, could we get some like sort of mystery music to play under this? I think it'll help the mood. That is much better. Thank you. So Joe Madelon and I, we were talking about Jamaica's economy and we're going debt, blah, 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 productivity, blah, blah, blah. And then he says this. You go to a supermarket today and you buy a tomato and they sell local tomatoes at a much higher price than they sell imported tomatoes in a supermarket. Labeled imported tomato, Jamaican tomato, and the Jamaican tomato is more expensive. We import most of the food that we eat, and we live in a tropical country. It's a Mexican tomato that was grown in Mexico, exported to a broker in Florida, and a Jamaican supplier bought it from a Florida broker. And it gets here less expensive to the supermarket than the product that was grown in the fields of, um, of St. Elizabeth. Which is how long? Which is how far away? Oh, St. Elizabeth is what? Two and a half hours? Alex. Yeah? I've read this mystery story. <laughs> you have? I have. And all of you listeners who heard Caitlin and Adam's podcast from Haiti about rice, you have too. They're, they did this show about Haitians eating rice from America, even though there's tons of rice grown in Haiti. It had to do with subsidies. They had a really bad harvest last season. They didn't have enough technology to grow rice well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I know. There are so many, so many economic mystery plot lines out there. All right, Hannah? Yeah. And the, and the issues with the Jamaican tomatoes are similar to the issues with Haitian rice, but there are some actually pretty interesting differences. So Jamaica is a lot richer compared to Haiti, and they have much more functional government. Their farmers are better educated. But that technology thing that is still a huge problem in Jamaica. And that really hit home for me when I had this conversation with this farmer in St. Elizabeth, the part of Jamaica where they grow the expensive tomatoes. So half of the year, this farmer, he works on his farm in Jamaica, but half of the year, he works somewhere else. I work on a farm in America. You worked on a farm in America? Where? where? Lake City up in Florida. In Florida, right? Yeah. So, Hannah, meet Winchell Wellington, nicknamed Gabby. Gabby Winchell (laughs) Wellington is nicknamed Gabby. Yeah, apparently that was the name of a cartoon character on a Jamaican television show when he was a kid. And I don't know, maybe he looked like him. I'm not sure. Anyway, Gabby was a really nice guy. And I talked to him for a long time. And he works in Florida half of the year because he makes more money doing that than farming his own land in Jamaica. Ah, so I see where this is going. So Gabby has actually seen exactly what's different between the technology-intensive farming that's done in North America and Mexico, where the cheaper tomatoes come from. Boy, does he. I asked him actually that question, what's the difference between farming there and farming here in Jamaica? And he got this sort of distant look in his eye. And that look sort of said everything, like farming in America is as similar to farming in Jamaica as a garment factory is to a knitting circle. For example, in the U.S., he says... They plant 25 acres of melon in one day. Uh-huh. 25 acres in one day. Yeah. And how much, how much can you plant here? It takes a lot of money to do 25 acres. Maybe it takes 15, 20 or 25 people to do that. Right. Uh-huh. And in America, where I work, they do 25 acres with three of us. Right, right. So did you catch that 25 acres with just three people in America versus 25 acres with 10, 15, or 
25 people in, in Jamaica. Yeah, so really labor intensive. And and I guess the idea here being that this is the same kind of agriculture they're doing in Mexico, where the cheaper tomatoes are coming from, big, large-scale agriculture where three guys and a huge machine can, can do everything, can plant a whole field. Exactly. In fact, Gabby said that the guy he worked for in America, the Florida farmer, he actually had a farm in Mexico as well, a fern farm. And Gabby said it wasn't just the planting that was easier in America. Everything was easier. He had this sort of litany where he would just talk with amazement about, you know, they had this machine in America that planted, watered, and fertilized all at the same time. And the seeds, he said, like watermelon seeds in Jamaica, if they yielded two harvests, that was great. But seeds in America, you'd get 13 harvests out of them. The pesticides, the herbicides, everything worked better. Even spraying the fields, he said, in America, it was just a snap. We spray 150 acres from 1.30 and by 6 with a tractor. And you're done. Yeah. And you're finished. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and here, it would take how long to spray? 150 acres would take you maybe three, four days with maybe four, five, six pump. Mm-hmm. Some somebody was telling me that in the supermarket in Kingston, he said that there's tomatoes from from Jamaica and then the tomatoes from Chile, mm-hmm. and that the tomatoes from Chile have to go on a boat to get there, but they're still cheaper somehow than the ones from Jamaica, yeah, and that's what you're talking about basically, yeah, technology. right? Technology, yeah, technology. Yeah. So it's technology. You need the technology. Yes, we need it more technology out here. Okay. It's very hard to compete yeah. with them. Actually, you heard in that question that I. I forgot when I was talking to him that the tomatoes were from Mexico, and I said that they were from Chile. But anyway, <laughs> that's the kind of reporter that's I am. That's cool. I get I the concept notice. right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, and talking to these farmers in Jamaica, they're, they're, I got this feeling that's hard to convey. Like, it's sort of like, you know, they've been doing the same thing for a long time. A lot of these guys are from farming families. They pick tomatoes and watermelons the same way their fathers and their grandfathers did. There's just this huge sense of history in St. Elizabeth. Like my favorite person I met there, it was this woman, uh, Nicolette. She was born and raised in St. Elizabeth, lives a few miles from where she went to school when she was a girl. She actually left St. Elizabeth for a long time when she was an adult, actually lived in the U.S., but then she came back. And her father was a teacher there at the school that she went. And when she's walking around St. Elizabeth, every place that she sees has these memories for her. You see the church up there that was, with all that cut stone and so at every break, every child in the school of the maybe 200 or more had to go up in the bushes at Flagaman and come back with a stone on the head, regardless of your race or religion or whatever, for that school, to, 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 for them to build that church. And if you came back out of the bush without a stone on your head, my father was standing in the school door here with a strap in hand waiting to find out why not. <laughs> that would never <laughs> happen here. So, like, first of all, that wouldn't happen because of separation of church and state. Second child of all, labor laws. Right, child labor, <laughs> corporal punishment. I know it's just like it's just like one no-no after another, all combined into this one little anecdote. And 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 that is really, I guess, what I'm trying to convey. There's this sense of like old-fashionedness there. But also it's like this really tight-knit place. And historically, that's the way you get things done. Everyone takes the time to work together. You don't get a machine to do it for you, you know? And so you hear all the time about like productivity gains giving you a big advantage. But for me, while I was there talking to these farmers, I really felt it. You know, you start adding it up. You know, 
one watermelon seed in the U.S. gives you 13 harvests versus just two or three in Jamaica. Then the pesticides you're using in America are going to help your watermelon survive. And then you have to pay just three guys to do everything, plant, water, and harvest versus in Jamaica where Gabby said it could take you 50 guys to do all that. And then you start to see why produce from abroad is much cheaper than, than domestically. Right. It's amazing that you can do the math about watermelon seeds. <laughs> I know. Um, so solving this mystery, that it's technology, raises another mystery to me, which it sounds like Jamaicans are much richer than Haitians. So in Haiti, you get the sense like there are just so many things that have to happen to have farmers there be even close to being competitive with anywhere else in the world. But in Jamaica, it seems like they basically just need machines. Like maybe they need machines and some better seeds. I know. And I actually asked Gabby that, like, why don't you just buy some of this technology for yourself? And he actually knew exactly where he would start. He says, I need a drip irrigation system. He knew a guy who had one. He said it cost him roughly 20 grand U.S. to install, but he'd make a lot more money with it in place. I asked him why he didn't just buy it, and he sort of shook his head like, that. that's an impossible dream, you stupid foreigner. <laughs> and so I talked to an economist named Rosemary Garcia. She works at a consulting firm called Nathan Associates. Uh, they do a lot of development work. And she says, this is something that you see across the developing world. A small farmer who knows what he needs to be more efficient but can't get the money. Typically, it is um, the lack of ability to get loans from the banking system uh, because they may not have titles to their lands. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? So I, I'm talking to some farmers and they say, yeah, I have a farm. You know, it's, it's 20 minutes up over the hill. They have the farm, but they don't have the paperwork that says to anybody legal that they have the farm? Yes. Um, And sometimes that paperwork is not valid for some reason. And the banking sector might not accept it. The banks that would be willing to lend are very few. Mm -hmm. If they don't have the right paperwork, then therefore they can't provide their land as collateral. And therefore the banks that are not going to be able to listen to them because then if they would default on the loan, they would have nothing to claim. Mm-hmm. So the banks are not willing to take that risk. Because they can't in, 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 they can't do something that we've been hearing a lot about lately, um, foreclose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Okay, so here we are. So we have Jamaicans buying their tomatoes from Mexico, even though Jamaicans grow tomatoes in Jamaica. And they're buying from Mexico because it's cheaper in Mexico, because in Mexico they have machines that they don't have in Jamaica. And they don't have those machines in Jamaica because they can't get a loan to buy the machines. So all the government needs to do is make it easier for someone like Gabby to get a loan. Right. Do the things that Rosemary Garcia was saying, you know, make it easier to have, you know, a title to your land and do all sorts of other sort of small technocratic changes that would make it easier for Jamaican farmers to access credit. But the more, you know, I sort of dig into this question, I get this sense of weariness coming over me. (laughs) Like it's just hard to make that happen? It's hard to make that happen. And then I have this radical question, actually, which is, what's the point? What? What's the point? What? (laughs) What What's the point? What do you mean? (laughs) The point is to help Gabby. Sure. Okay. But let's just talk through what happens if they figure out how to do that. Okay. So let's just take it. Let's say they figure it out. Credit is easier. Someone like Gabby is able to get a loan, buy his irrigation system. And let's say for the sake of argument that after he gets invests in technology, he's able to get his prices lower than Mexican imports. 
After all, he doesn't have to ship from Mexico. Okay, so now, instead of 50 people to grow watermelons, Gabby needs only 10. He's making a bigger profit. Maybe he's able to pay those 10 guys who work for him more, but that's still 40 guys who are now out of a job, basically. And this is where my weariness comes in. It's like, what happens to those 40 guys? You have this farmer from a part of the world where not much has changed in a century, who's probably doing the same thing his father did and his father before that. And all of a sudden you're saying, hey, that thing you were doing, you can't do it anymore. Yeah. Okay. So I see what you're saying. So in the short term, it is incredibly dislocating. This kind of idea means that a machine basically replaces those 40 people but the logic is that in the long term, this is better because people, you know, in the country, everyone gets tomatoes cheaper. So they're not spending their money on tomatoes. Now they can spend their money on other stuff. They can spend, you know, their money on whatever they want. They Movies or sunglasses or dishwashers or daycare, whatever they choose to, Xboxes if they want to. And as more and more people spend more and more money on stuff besides tomatoes, those 40 guys now... They could be the ones selling sunglasses or providing daycare. They can have new jobs because, you know, the point is other businesses pop up and they try to get those extra dollars that aren't being spent on tomatoes now. And as those other businesses start up, they employ people, maybe those 40 guys who used to work on the farm. Which, as you might imagine, is a very hard argument to make to a newly unemployed farmer. Because basically what you're saying is, trust us, it is better to have Gabby drive you out of business Because all that money he's saving people on their tomatoes will result in new jobs for you, but we just don't know what those jobs are because the market hasn't created them yet. Right. And actually, maybe the job isn't even for you, but it's for your kids. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's the problem. That's the tricky thing about, like, you know, economic growth and all these arguments is that there's there's always, like, a short-term trade-off, it seems like. And asking somebody in that situation to trust you is quite a big thing to ask. Yeah. It's a leap of faith, really. Yeah. I think that does it for us today. Uh, Jacob, our blogger, has a lot more about those declining home sale numbers you heard today. Um, it's up on our blog, npr.org slash money. That is it for us today. We're going to get out of here, and we are going to pass over this podcast to the very talented Caitlin Kenny. She's our producer. She chooses the music. She helps us do our interviews and research and write and think. She keeps us honest. She's great, and today is her birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to Caitlin. We will talk to all of you on Friday. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. Never take me serious So many goals and tasks As patrols I pass every day My lad I have to pray on my way They never realize With a little cooperation We could a unify Relieve the frustration Instead they want to Ride up on them brother